And if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 10, that's page 975 in the church Bibles. And we're going to uh, look this evening from verses 16 uh, to verse 42. And this will be the last uh, sermon uh, in Matthew till after the summer. Matthew actually breaks his uh, gospel up into different sections. Uh, Usually they end uh, with a phrase that Matthew uses, which is uh, chapter 11, verse 1, which is something like, after Jesus had finished saying these things, or here, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, uh, and then there's a new section in his gospel. Uh, And that uh, is a good place to break because uh, we're going to do a study in the Song of Solomon uh, starting at the end uh, of May. So we're going to break in Matthew to do that. Then it will be the summer holidays uh, and then it will be almost Christmas again before you know it. So there we go. Uh, But last week uh, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus, or last time rather, was instructing his disciples uh, as they were about to embark on a mission trip Uh, around Galilee. Uh, He's been giving them instructions in the first 15 verses, which really were specific to the mission that they are about to go on. Uh, Although from those instructions, we're able to draw principles that we can apply uh, as all of us, as Jesus' disciples, are called to be on a mission to proclaim the good news to the world around us. But the instruction that we'll read tonight moves on from the specifics of the mission around Galilee uh, to the more general instruction about what it's like to be on mission for Jesus throughout all the ages. And this evening we're going to come back uh, into the classroom of Jesus as we spend more time in Jesus' school of mission. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 10 uh, from verses 16 to the end of the chapter. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account... You will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. 
Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is God's word. Well, these uh, verses from verse 16 onwards uh, don't just talk to the disciples here at this moment where Jesus is speaking, but to all Christians throughout all of church history. And the reason that we can see this is because none of what he said would happen happened on the short-term mission that he has just been instructing his disciples about. And all of what Jesus says here has happened throughout the history of church, uh, of the church, and will continue to do so until Jesus returns. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see these things happening to the very disciples Jesus instructs here. Well, the first uh, nine verses outline the theme that Jesus speaks of, and that theme is this. Opposition will come if we're involved in Jesus' mission. Look again at verse 16 for the gist here of what Jesus is pointing out. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This is not uh, being wary of wolves that have not yet arrived. Yet rather, this is speaking to sheep who are going to the wolves. Now normally you would think sheep... Uh, are protected by a fence from the wolves coming in. But here Jesus chucks them out of the fence and throws them right to where the wolves are. Wolves are vicious and they seek to destroy the sheep. So this speaks about those people who are looking to harm Jesus' sheep. And Jesus, who calls himself the Good Shepherd, is sending out his sheep squarely into the place of danger. It's a strange... Uh, illustration, isn't it, if you think about it? But he's warning them about what he's going to do, and he tells them of how they should be 
as the sheep that are going among the wolves. He says they should be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Well, snakes have always uh, been known for their cunning. Uh, the, the children uh, in the village school are doing a, a, a production of the Jungle Book. Uh, and if you think of the Jungle Book and Car the snake, the whole of his character is cunning, isn't it? To try and get Mowgli uh, to get into his clutches. So snakes are known for cunning. And the point here is that we, are, we need to be thoughtful in our response to the wolves who are wanting to attack us. A snake has a, an, instant, um, an instinct for self-preservation. A snake would avoid danger. And as Christians, we need to be careful of the battles that we choose to fight. Not fighting ones that have no positive impact at all on the gospel. We need to be wise as to how to preach the gospel in circumstances that are not favorable. We need to be wise and cunning about even how to work around systems that are in place so that we can continue proclaiming the gospel. Shrewd as serpents, but also innocent as doves. A dove is a bird known as chaste and faithful. As well as being shrewd, we need to also have a character that is blameless, that commends the message that we are proclaiming and gives the wolves no reason to attack us other than the fact that they hate Jesus. It makes me think uh, of uh, Daniel, uh, who we looked at at Discoverers on Friday. And when they went to, get Dan- uh, to find a way of, of attacking Daniel before King Darius, Uh, The Bible says that they they discussed among themselves and they said the only way that we can get Daniel if it's something to do with his God. And that's because Daniel was a great example of someone who was as shrewd as a serpent but as harmless as a dove. So the warning is given that we will be among wolves. And Jesus says how we are to respond generally. Wise as serpents or shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. But now Jesus goes into detail about how those wolves are, to atta- are going to attack and then how we, should, how we should respond. And he gives four kinds of wolves in verses 17 to 23. And he tells us uh, to be on our guard. Be on, uh, be on your guard at the beginning of verse 17. And the first kind of wolf is the wolf of religion in verse 17. He talks of local councils uh, there, which was the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was a local council of 23 men who were responsible for local justice, according to the Jewish law. And the local council had the authority to flog someone up to 39 times in the synagogue. You may uh, think about Paul the Apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he said... Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, the maximum penalty. So he's talking about times where the Jewish council flogged him those 39 times. This isn't talking about the Roman government, that will come shortly, but opposition from the Jewish religious body. And the book of Acts shows this opposition with a number of times with the disciples being flogged for proclaiming Jesus which is the authority the Jews had. 
But this kind of wolf doesn't just put itself in the guise of only the Jewish religion. Christians have faced persecutions from other religions all throughout history. We saw the Roman Catholic Church opposing the Reformers when we studied them uh, last year. And today, uh, on that Open Doors video we watched earlier, we've seen Christians persecuted terribly in Muslim lands purely because they're wanting to convert them to the Muslim religion. Open Doors also speaks of persecution in India at the moment at the hands of Hindus who want to cleanse their land of anything that's not Hindu. So persecution comes from religion. The second wolf Jesus speaks about is in verses 18 to 20, and that's the wolf of governing authorities. Governing authorities. In verse 18, Jesus highlights governors and kings as ones that the disciples will be brought before after being arrested. Now this speaks of government, which is what governors and kings are responsible for. But it can be applied to any uh, powerful opposition in nations or in even local government. But notice a few things in these verses. Notice that Jesus says, On my account you will be brought before them. The opposition from government is because of Jesus, because of what people believe about him, because of what following him makes, people li- makes Christians live like. It's because of him that they are arrested. Notice too how the opposition will cause the disciples to be a witness to the governors and kings and to other believers who are watching. It's a powerful witness when one is standing before authorities and speaking the gospel, knowing it can result even in their death. And again, you see that throughout the book of Acts. Paul the Apostle, standing before the Roman governors, giving account of his testimony, speaking of Christ, being a great witness to those governors and to those others around him. And notice in verses 19 and 20, that in this opposition, God will give the words to speak. It is a fearful thing to stand up in front of opposition, especially powerful opposition. But God promises here to give the words needed in the situation. Remember, these disciples were simple fishermen for the most part. They weren't the most eloquent of people in society. And these were the ones that were going to stand before the governing authorities of the land and proclaim the gospel. It was a scary thing. But Jesus says, don't worry, I'll give you the words to speak. And for us too, as we face opposition in school, at home, in our workplaces, uh, wherever that may be, we can apply these words to us and trust that God will give us the words to speak when we need them. This verse often actually is misused. Uh, to make people think we don't have to read our Bibles very much. We don't, I don't have to study for sermons because God will give me the words to say. No, no, this is talking about don't fear when you're in opposition and God will give you the words to say. And that's an encouragement because um, you're probably the same as me. When I uh, witness and, and share my faith, I always come away thinking it was a real fumbling attempt and my, my words were totally useless. But actually God can use our fumbling attempts to share our faith to do great things and we need to trust him that he will give us those words even when we feel like we've messed it up. But there are Christians who face in our day 
very hostile governments. One thinks of lands like North Korea and in the past the Soviet Union. Even in our own country, legislation is being passed which is opposed to scripture and to which we have to speak out against. One thinks of abortion and euthanasia, for example. In fact, we live in historically unprecedented times in the ease with which we are able to gather together as Christians and freely proclaim the gospel. We should not take it for granted, but should not also be surprised when non-Christian government passes non-Christian legislation. So there's the wolf of religion, and there's the wolf of government. The third one, though, is much closer to home. In fact, it is the home. It's the wolf of family, in verse 21. We rightly think of family as a safe and secure environment. And that is what family should be. But allegiance to Jesus can destroy family bonds. Look at verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Notice how the betrayal which leads to death comes from brothers to other brothers, and even fathers to their children. Can you imagine? This is a total breakdown of family relations. And it's a complete tragedy, isn't it? But sometimes, following Jesus will cause our families to oppose us. And sometimes, even family as close as parents and even our own children will oppose us because we follow Jesus Christ. And I would say that even this is harder perhaps, than opposition from religion and from government. Because these are people that we love dearly, but they oppose us often greatly. The final wolf uh, is a lot more general. You can see it there in verse 22. Jesus just sums up there, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. It's a sad fact, but if your desire in your life is to be liked by people, then you cannot really be a follower of Jesus for very long. Because if we are following Jesus, there are going to be people that he says will hate you, or at least hate what you stand for. It's nothing personal, or at least it shouldn't be. We read elsewhere in the scripture, if you're going to be persecuted, make sure it's for Jesus and not because of your own bad attitude or something like that. But Jesus repeats again, it's because of me. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. Jesus calls us to be disciples. And this includes proclaiming the truth about him. And if we do this, we're going to face opposition. But we need to stand firm. He says at the end of verse 22, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. To the end means the one who keeps believing in the face of opposition or when times get tough and keeps on believing, gets through to the end. And the one who keeps doing, the one who who continues to believe, they will be saved. Or in the end, they'll be proved to be believers of Jesus. 
That means that perseverance is a sure sign of conversion. And there is nothing like opposition to draw out those who are really followers of Jesus and those who are not. It's so much easier to be a Christian when you're with other Christians who all support you. And those are good things, by the way. It's good to be with other Christians. But it's ever so much harder to continue in your faith when everyone around you opposes you and persecutes you and all those kind of things. Well, opposition is going to keep on coming as long as we are proclaiming the gospel. But we need to keep proclaiming it. This is the point, I think, of verse 23. It says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, this doesn't mean when times are tough, run away. But it's related to being as shrewd as serpents, I think. It means we don't need to stay around and die or suffer needlessly. We ought to escape those who are trying to kill us so we can keep proclaiming the gospel. I think back last year uh, to uh, the studies I was doing on William Tyndale. He was always being looked for as he was translating the Bible into English. He was always on the move, escaping those who were coming to kill him so that he could continue his work. That isn't cowardice. That was shrewd. But when the time came when he was arrested, God gave him the words to speak and he stood firm until the end, which was his execution. He's a great example of one who fulfilled this. He went from place to place so he could continue the work of translating his Bibles. But when the end did come and he was arrested, he stood firm. The disciples had to keep going to reach as many towns as possible because they wouldn't even get through all of them in Israel before the Son of Man came. The phrase, the Son of Man comes, is likely talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So they wouldn't, before he's resurrected, even get to go through all the towns that they're going through. But for us, the Son of Man is coming again in judgment. And we need to use our time wisely to reach as many as we can before that day comes. The fact that Jesus is coming, and it could be any moment, should spare us to reach as many people as we can with the good news. Opposition comes from various sources, but we should expect it to come. And we should expect it to come because it's what happens to Jesus. In verses 24 and 25, Jesus talks about a student not being above a teacher and a a servant above, above the master. But in the illustration, Jesus is the teacher. He is the master. He is the head of the house. And the student and the servant of the, of the household and the members of the household are not going to get treated better than their superior. We can only expect to get treated as Jesus did. Because if he, as our superior, got treated with opposition, how should we, as his followers, expect to be treated any differently? And the answer is, of course, we can't. And Jesus did get treated this way. He faced opposition from the Jewish religious leaders in the form of their religious uh, leadership uh, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He faced opposition from the Roman authorities in the form of Pontius Pilate. 
And even his family thought he was a madman and tried to take him away. In fact, if we are facing no opposition at all in our Christian lives, we have to wonder whether we are even Christians at all. Because Paul writes, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We read that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Well, knowing that Jesus, uh, knowing that we're going to get treated in this way, Jesus goes on to give us some help in how we respond to opposition. And he does this by giving us some truths to remember when we face opposition. So he tells us, you're going to face these wolves. You should expect to face them because I am going to put you right among them. But while you're there, here's what you must remember. And he gives us a number of truths. And the first truth in verses 26 to 31 is, do not be afraid. Three times in those verses, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Verse 26, 28, and 31. Now it's fine to say, don't be afraid, or do not fear. But within these three times that he says it, he gives us reasons not to fear. And the first reason not to fear is God's promise. Look at verses 26 and 27. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. People try to shut the gospel up. People try to make Christians look stupid But God will make all things very clear in the future. That's his promise here. There is a day coming when God will show publicly to all people that the gospel is the truth and that it is foolish to have rejected it. And that's something great to remember when there are people that come to us and they do, uh, at least I find this, they do sometimes make me feel stupid with their arguments and the things they say, and they, 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 they can make us look really, really silly, especially among other people. But we must remember God's promise that there is a day coming when we will not be the ones that look foolish, but those that have rejected Christ. And because of this promise, it's worth proclaiming what Jesus tells us, he says, from the rooftops. It can be tempting at those times to keep quiet about Jesus, but here we see that it is wrong to do that. And foolish, because there's a day coming when we'll see that it was well worth proclaiming him from the roofs. So don't fear because of God's promise. But secondly, don't fear because of God's power. Verse 28 weighs the relative power of people who oppose us and the power of God. The worst someone can do to us is kill the body. And many have died because of their faith in Jesus. But that is all they can do. They cannot touch the soul which lives on forever. But God, on the other hand, he can destroy both body and soul in hell, which is eternal punishment. And that is what will happen to those who reject Jesus. Body and soul in hell. So don't fear because of God's promise. Don't fear because of God's power. And lastly, don't fear because of God's providence. Sparrows are mentioned here, which were were cheap food. You could get two for a penny. 
And God cares for every one of these tiny creatures enough to know when one of them falls to the ground. Which likely, by the way, means when they die. Because sparrows don't usually fall, they fly. And his providential care and providential hand is on each and every little sparrow. Now the point isn't that the sparrows don't matter. The point is that God's people are more important to him than the birds. And if he so carefully cares for his birds, how much more does he care for his children? He knows us and is concerned about us so much that even the number of hairs on our heads are numbered. So if God cares for the birds so much, you needn't be afraid because you are way more value to him than they are. So the first truth that we are to remember when we are opposed is do not be afraid, do not fear. But the second truth that we must remember is in verses 32 and 33, which is to acknowledge Christ. Acknowledge Christ. Verse 32 and 33 says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. To acknowledge is to confess or to declare. But notice that the acknowledgement is before others. So this is talking about a public confession. We are to talk to others of Jesus and not to disown him before them. Now we can disown Jesus with our words by denying him. But we can disown him also by our silence when we never talk of him. And we can deny him or disown him by our actions when we don't act like his people. Especially when we're following the crowd and doing what everyone else wants us to do. And the consequences of disowning Jesus are serious. He will disown us before his father. That is saying you are not a believer if you disown Christ. Now we need to be careful here. This is not talking about a slip-up, which no doubt has happened to all of us. But rather, this is a settled decision. In scripture, we see the case of Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus, one of the disciples, who denied Christ three times, but later on we see Peter restored. All of us, including me, have disowned Christ at certain points in our Christian lives. But if we take a settled course, a life decision to turn our back on Jesus then Jesus is saying, you are not a Christian. Earlier on, he said, we endure to the end if we're saved. A genuine believer stands firm. So do not fear. Acknowledge Christ. But another truth that we need to remember in verses 34 to 37 is to love Christ supremely. Love Christ supremely. It's interesting how the Prince of Peace says that he doesn't come to bring peace. Now there is a sense, of course, that he comes to bring peace in that he brings peace between man and God and, as we become Christians, between people. But there is a sense, too, that the gospel brings war rather than peace. Because following Jesus makes enemies, even of those closest to us. 
Following Jesus will even turn families against one another. We mentioned this earlier as one of the wolves, and here Jesus articulates it even more. He says in verse 35, I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. He's quoting there from uh, Micah chapter 7 and verse 6 in the Old Testament. God's people, as they follow God, will have even their families turning against one another. But even uh, family Even if family make a choice between following Jesus and pleasing them, Jesus only gives us one option in verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Worthy here doesn't mean merit, but it means having what it takes. If we love anyone or anything more than we love Jesus then we don't have what it takes to be his disciple. And for some of us, this is very real, isn't it? For some, our families may hate what we believe, and following Jesus means we have to make a very real choice to live Jesus' way or or do things and believe things that our families find loathsome. It can be a real choice that we have to make. And Jesus says... If you, to, to, as a Christian, you've got to love me supremely if you're going to have what it takes. Well, all of the truths that Jesus wants us to remember are really difficult to live out, aren't they? It's hard not to fear. It's hard to continue acknowledging Christ. It's hard to go against our family. But then Jesus never calls us to an easy life, a rewarding one, the only life worth living, yes, but not an easy one. In fact, the final truth he asks us to remember in verses 38 and 39 is that we are called to die. We are called to die. When Jesus talks here of taking up a cross in verse 38, he's talking of death. The cross was where people are executed. Now, you may have heard the phrase, oh, we all have our crosses to bear, but it's actually a real misinterpretation of what Jesus is saying here. We don't all have our crosses to bear. Christians all have one cross to bear. And that's the cross that Jesus gives us, the cross that is calling us to death. He's calling us to die to ourselves and to give ourselves in complete allegiance to him. Again, he says we haven't really got what it takes if we do not give ourselves in allegiance to Jesus. But that way of death is the only way to life. Look at verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now to lose here isn't like when you lose your car keys and eventually you find them again. The word lose here means to destroy. And the word for life can either mean physical or spiritual, and Jesus uses this as a kind of play on words. To find a life is talking of physical safety now, but to lose spiritual safety for eternity. So whoever finds their earthly life will lose their eternal life. But whoever loses their earthly life, whether that's physically, in death, or just by giving yourself over to Jesus in complete allegiance to him, will have eternal life. 
In other words, do not live for the here and now, but in the light of eternity. That's what we need to remember as we face opposition. It's temporary, but we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we've thought about the kind of opposition that we'll face. We've thought about some truths that we need to consider as we face opposition. But the final point in the passage really answers the question, is this all worth it? Although living for Jesus will result in opposition, we've got to keep in mind that loyalty to Jesus will be rewarded. In, uh, in London, there are apparently 166 foreign embassies where ambassadors for those nations represent the government of their country. To see an ambassador is the equivalent of seeing the government of that nation. In the news recently, you may have seen the Russian ambassador was summoned to the, the foreign office to explain uh, alleged Russian uh, aggression in uh, Salisbury. Now, when the Russian ambassador is called, they're calling the Russian nation. If an ambassador is welcomed, then the country is welcome. If they are mistreated, then the country is mistreated. And Jesus uses this kind of ambassador language in verses 40 and 41. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Those who welcome Jesus' disciples, essentially the message they bring, welcome Jesus himself. Because they're welcoming his ambassadors. This is just like how people received or did not receive the, what the, the message of the prophets and the righteous people in the Old Testament. Those who received them were rewarded with the blessings that are found in following the Lord. The blessings that those prophets and righteous people proclaimed. But those who rejected them were judged accordingly. Jesus links those that follow him and spread his message with the prophets and righteous people of the past. Look at verse 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. The little ones here are the disciples. We are little ones. We are God's children. We might not be as well known as a, a prophet like Isaiah or Moses or a righteous person like Noah, but like them, we have the message from God and those that welcome the message by welcoming the messengers will be rewarded. The way that we welcome the messengers is to help Christians with even the most basic of things, like giving a cup of cold water. Helping another Christian in this way does not go unnoticed by God. And in a world that is against Christianity, it is so important, isn't it, that we feel at home in the church. And so as a church, we need to be practically helping one another in big and small ways. Doing this is not only a witness to the outside world, but it gives that sense of community and belonging that is a real enabler for mission. Because we know that when we go out into the world, we are going with the support of brothers and sisters behind us. 
Perhaps we could all think of how we can help one another in ways that will encourage each other to share our faith. One big example, of course, is to be praying for one another and telling each other that we are doing so. I, in fact, uh, I prepared this before today, but this morning someone came to me and said, how can I pray for you? And that was a great encouragement for me and an enabler for me to be able to share my faith and do the work of ministry. But there's other practical things we can do. Babysitting, so that a Christian can help in a ministry or even have rest from a ministry. Financially supporting someone so that they can serve Jesus. Or offering a meal or going for a coffee just to talk and pray together. All of these things are the kind of things Jesus is talking of here. The opportunities are legion, but we need to be welcoming Jesus by welcoming one another. Well, as we think about facing opposition, Jesus here gives us some good teaching. But when we see Jesus, we also see the perfect example. Here is one who faced opposition from all of the areas that he talks of here. And we see Jesus fearing his father more than people. We see Jesus praying for his father's will to be done, not his own. And quite literally taking his cross and dying in the place of sinners so that he could be wel- welcome them into his family. And he sends us, his Holy Spirit, to enable us to share the good news with the world around us. What Jesus is asking of us here is to follow in his footsteps as his children. So let us face down opposition. Let us keep proclaiming and let us pray for and help each other that we would keep going until the end when one day all opposition will cease and every knee will bow and publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord who is the King who will reign forever and ever.